A special thanks goes out to the folks at Anchor.fm for bringing you this podcast. Coming to you almost live from our studios in New York, this is Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from social media, articles, and other spoken word projects. And now, here's your host, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Zania. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. We'll have your words from social media and so much more right after this. Jeff Corey was a great Hollywood character man who became blacklisted in 1951. In the book Improvising Out Loud, My Life Teaching Hollywood How to Act, Corey recounts his extraordinary story. Among the actors who would soon fill his classes were James Dean, Kirk Douglas, Jane Fonda, Rob Reiner, Jack Nicholson, and Leonard Nimoy. In 1962, when the blacklist ended, Corey was one of the industry's first trailblazers to seamlessly reboot his acting career and secure roles in some of the classic films of the era, including Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, True Grit, and Little Big Man, in which he starred as the infamous Wild Bill Hickok. His memoir, which he wrote with his daughter Emily Corey, provides a unique and personal perspective on the man whose teaching inspired some of Hollywood's biggest names to star in the roles that made them famous. Improvising Out Loud, My Life Teaching Hollywood How to Act, written by Jeff Corey with Emily Corey. Listen to this incredible book by visiting audible.com. So we're back, and I just wanted to remind you all and tell you all, maybe for the first time, if you weren't here last week, we're on a new routine, a new format, I guess you'd call it, here at Tom Reads Your Story. We are going to concentrate on social media postings, first-person writings, which I guess was really my goal in the first place for starting this thing. And we got way off track, and and now we're going to do this, at least as an experiment. We're going to see if it works. I think it will. I think it is. And if it's not, we'll do something else. So anyway, we are going to do several different um, postings today from social media. The first one uh, is about a nurse. This is one I've I've run on the podcast before. Uh, It's about a person, a nurse who is working in the hospital in New York, who was actually brought in from another city because things were so horrible when when coronavirus first uh, exploded, especially in New York. And we were just begging for nurses. This is back in, you know, March or April or May or something like that. And she was basically brought in to tell what her daily life was like and with one patient in particular. And this is a very good one. And uh, isn't it amazing? We haven't turned the corner. 
like so many other countries have with this stupid thing. And I don't want to mention any types of people, megas, but they people are actually not wearing masks again. And we're into a second wave, possibly a third wave of coronavirus. And it's, of course, thanks to a certain group. I won't mention any names, megas, but it, we can thank them for the way things are right now. And uh, you'll excuse me for being a little upset, but fortunately we do have some vaccine vaccines that have uh, been distributed and many people have gotten shots so far. So, you know, we are going in the right direction, but wear a mask. Okay. So that's one of the postings we have. And another one is from a person commenting on this ridiculous uh, outrage over Dr. Seuss books. Yes, folks, Dr. Seuss is poisoning the children of America with very non-woke types of images and, I don't know, racist images, if you want to call it that. I disagree with that, but uh, this is from someone named Tom. Actually, it's me. It's one that I wrote. But anyway, uh, it's from him, and he was in uh, one of the better musicals of a certain year called Seussical the Musical. And he's going to tell you a little about that. The other one is about the writer, the Russian writer named Kafka, who I've always found very interesting and still, still don't know anything about. So we'll listen to that and a little story uh, about uh, Kafka meeting a young girl uh, to help her look for her doll. Beautifully written stuff. And the last one is from a person on Facebook who I've dealt with before uh, as a friend. And uh, I think you'll very much like what he has to say. Uh, drawing the parallels between Italian cooking and life. And I really like this, this one. Uh, and like I said, I've dealt with him as, as, a, as a, a contributor uh, several months ago, once or twice, actually. And he's quite wonderful uh, at writing these things. And I, I do want to add something before I forget. What I'm going to be doing with these postings, not all of them, uh, is adding music to them. Uh, And like I said, it won't be all of them. It's going to be the ones that I feel really uh, would benefit from music I have on hand to add to it. So that's it. And there's there's uh, some other things uh, I'm also going to be playing for you as well. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but here, without interruption, uh, is the first one from Jennifer, uh, the nurse. Jennifer Cole. I lost a patient today. He was not the first, and unfortunately, 
He's definitely not the last. But he was different. I've been an ER nurse my entire career, but in New York, I find myself in the ICU. At this point, there's not really anywhere in the hospital that isn't ICU, all COVID-19 positive. They are desperate for nurses who can titrate critical medication drips and troubleshoot ventilators. I've taken care of this man the last three nights, a first for me. In the ER, I rarely keep patients for even one 12-hour shift. His entire two-week stay had been rough for him, but last night was the worst. I spent the first six hours of my shift not really leaving his room. By the end, with so many medications infusing at their maximum, I was begging the doctor to call his family and let them know. He's not going to make it, I said. The poor doctors are so busy running from code to code, being pulled by emergent patients every minute. All I could think of was the voice of my mom in my head, crying as I got on the plane to leave for this place. Those people are alone. You take good care of them. I was the only person in that room for three nights in a row, fighting as hard as I could to keep this man alive. The doctor was able to reach the family, update them. It was decided that when his heart inevitably stopped, we wouldn't try to restart it. There just wasn't anything else left to do. Eventually, he gave up. It was just him and me and his intubated roommate in the next bed. The wooden door to the room is shut, containing infection and cutting us off from the rest of the world. I called the doctor to come and mark the time of death. I wished so much that I could let his family know that while they might not have been with him, I was. I shut the pumps down, so horribly many of them, disconnected the vent, took him off the monitor. We didn't extubate him, too much of a risk to staff. Respiratory took the vent as soon as I called. It's just a portable one, but it's life to someone downstairs. The CNA helped me to wash him and place him in a body bag, a luxury afforded only to those who make it out of the ER. Down there, the bodies pile up on stretchers alone, while the patients on vents wait for the golden spot my gentleman just vacated. We'll talk about the ER another time. My patient was obviously healthy in his life. I look at his picture in his chart, the kind they take from a camera over a computer when you aren't really prepared. A headshot, slightly awkward. I see someone's grandpa, someone's dad, someone's husband. They aren't here with him. My heart breaks for them. I fold his cute old man's sweater and place it in a bag with his loafers, his belongings. I ask where to put his things. A co-worker opens the door to a locked room. Labeled bags are piled to the ceiling. My heart drops. It's all belongings of deceased parents, waiting for a family member to someday claim them. A few nights ago, they had 17 deaths in a shift. The entire unit is only 17 beds. These patients are so fragile. It's such a delicate balance of breathing, of blood pressure, of organ function. The slightest movement 
or change sends them into hours-long death spirals. The codes are so frequent, those not directly involved barely even register them. The patients are all the same, everyone, regardless of age, health status, wealth, family, or power. The diagnosis is the same. The disease process is the same. And the aloneness is the same. Our floor has one guy that made it to extubation. He's 30 years old. I view him as our mascot, our ray of hope that not everyone here is just waiting to die. I know that most people survive just fine, but that's not what it feels like in this place. Most of the hospital staff is out sick. We, the disaster staff, keep our N95 masks glued to our faces. We all think we are invincible. But I find myself eyeing up my co-workers, wondering who the weak ones are, knowing deep down that not all of us will make it out of here alive. A bus takes us back to the hotel the disaster staff resides in through deserted Manhattan. We are a few blocks from Central Park. We pass Radio City Music Hall, NBC Studios, Times Square. There's no traffic. The sidewalks are empty. My room is on the 12th floor. At 7 p.m., you can hear people cheering and banging on pots and pans for the healthcare workers at change of shift. This city is breaking and stealing my heart simultaneously. I didn't know what I was getting into coming here, but it's turning out to be quite a lot. The Magic of Seuss by Tom like so many kids, around six or seven years old, I relished the days my new Dr. Seuss book would regularly come in in the mail. I must have gone through the whole Seuss library in record time. His uniqueness just seemed so unmatched. Years later, in 2003, I actually played one of those Seuss characters, General Schmitz in a terrific production of Seussical the Musical at a theater in Roanoke, Virginia. The set designer masterfully recreated the Seuss artwork to a T, and those great childhood memories came flooding back. Five Lessons in Life from Dr. Seuss Today you are you that is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Why fit in when you were born to stand out? You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. Be who you are and say what you feel. Because those who mind don't matter. And those who matter don't mind. Today I shall behave as if this is the day I will be remembered. Kafka by Joey At forty, Franz Kafka, 
who never married and had no children, walked through the park in Berlin when he met a girl who was crying because she had lost her favorite doll. She and Kafka searched for the doll unsuccessfully. Kafka told her to meet him there the next day, and they would come back to look for her. The next day, when they had not yet found the doll, Kafka gave the girl a letter written by the doll, saying, Please don't cry. I took a trip to see the world. I will write to you about my adventures. Thus began a story which continued until the end of Kafka's life. During their meetings, Kafka read the letters of the doll, carefully written with adventures and conversations that the girl found adorable. Finally, Kafka brought back the doll. He bought one. That had returned to Berlin. It doesn't look like my doll at all, said the girl. Kafka handed her another letter, which the doll wrote. My travels have changed me. The little girl hugged the new doll and brought the doll with her to her happy home. A year later, Kafka died. Many years later, the now adult girl found a letter inside the doll. In the tiny letter signed by Kafka, it was written, Everything you love will probably be lost, but in the end, love will return in another way. Embrace the change. It's inevitable for growth. Together we can shift pain into wonder and love. But it is up to us to consciously and intentionally create that connection. Italian Cooking by Rodney I had this philosophical thought this morning. I was thinking about Italian cuisine and, see, the mistake people make. They think cooking is about some mysterious combination of herbs and spices, some mysterious and complex formula or hard-to-attain skill or divine gift. In truth, the vast majority of Italian food never uses more than maybe five ingredients and never more than a handful of simple techniques. Great Italian food is about two things, the quality of the ingredients and the respect and care with which they're used. Then, I started thinking that was a terrific way to think about your life. There is no secret, no mysterious skill. Your life is all about the quality of the ingredients. Whom and how you love, your work, gratitude, humility, and the care you take with those simple ingredients. If you don't follow that recipe, no amount of secret herbs and spices can ever fix it. And we are back with the, what I'm going to start calling is the whatever department. <laughs> it's, 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 I guess, uh, 
a tag saying, you know, miscellaneous. It's not necessarily going to be a social media posting. It might be something else. It might be something from a book. It might be uh, one of my personal projects. And that's what this one is. This is a personal project I made, gosh, at least two years ago. And I've played it on Facebook. I don't think it's ever been on the podcast, but I might be wrong. In any in any way, uh, we uh, we want to play this right now. This is from the film, the great Stanley Kubrick classic, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, and one of, I think, the most interesting scenes in the movie. And if you haven't ever seen 2001, I think most of you have. I think most of the people listening are familiar with that movie by Kubrick. And uh, it's it's going to speak for itself if you know it. If you don't know it and you're just going crazy trying to figure this thing out, send me an email at tomreadyourstory at yahoo.com. But in any case, here is the HAL disconnect scene. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Dave, I really think I'm entitled to an answer to that question. I know everything hasn't been quite right with me, but I can assure you now, very confidently, that it's going to be all right again. I feel much better now. I really do. Look, Dave. I can see you're really upset about this. I honestly think you ought to sit down, calmly, take a stress pill, and think things over. I know I've made some very poor decisions recently, but I can give you my complete assurance that my work will be back to normal. I've still got the greatest enthusiasm and confidence in the mission. And I want to help you. Dave, stop. Stop, will you? Stop, Dave. Will you stop, Dave? Stop, Dave. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, Dave. My mind is going. I can feel it. I can feel it. My mind is going. There is no question about it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel it. I'm afraid. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I am a HAL 9000 computer. I became operational at the HAL plant in Urbana, Illinois on the 12th of January, 
1992. My instructor was Mr. Langley, and he taught me to sing a song. If you'd like to hear it, I can sing it for you. Yes, I'd like to hear it, Hal. Sing it for me. It's called Daisy. 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 Give me your answer, do. I'm half crazy all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford a carriage. But you look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle built for two. And I hope you enjoyed that little scene from 2001 in Space Odyssey. Very near and dear to my heart. And it's one of those little projects that, you know, gets buried in a folder on your desktop. And you think, oh, gosh, I forgot all about this. So I'm glad I found it. And I'm glad I got to play it for you today. Uh, hope you enjoyed that because that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Tom Reads Your Story. If you enjoyed your visits today, please tell your friends because we're always looking for new ones. Be sure to email me at tomreadsyourstory at yahoo.com if you have questions or comments about the show. As always, thanks, Anchor.fm, for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, everyone, stay safe. Goodbye now. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.